Heavenly Father, thank you that our lips do cry out praise. It's to you because of your faithfulness, because of your goodness, because of your mercy, because of who you are, that we've gathered here today to lift up our voices today and acknowledge you and give you the, the, not only the praise of our lips, but the praise of our heart, the praise of our life. And I pray, God, that as you open up our minds today, as you open up our hearts today, we do pray that you will speak truth into us. I pray that you will give us the mindset that we're going to listen to you and not only listen to you, we're going to obey you. We're going to let you change the way we think and the way we feel. And yes, the way we act. God, we need you. This is a desperate time in which we live. This is a desperate world in which we live. But thank you that you cut through the desperation of this world and you open up our heart to receive blessing from you and to receive encouragement from you. And that's what we want to do today, God. We want to just open up our lives to you and let you pour into us as we pour up our praise to you. We praise you with the songs of our heart and we praise you with the meditation of your word in our life. And I pray that we would be transformed to be more like you as we continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please feel free to take a seat and I invite you to join me and, and open up your Bible again today to Psalm 119. We began uh, last week looking at Psalm 119. And by the way, if you're still in here and you're a child, the uh, Child's ministry program is taking place right now, so feel free to duck out. Your workers are waiting on you to take you back to um, the uh, place where you can share together in children's worship. Next Sunday after this service, we want to invite you to hang around for a few minutes, 10 or 15, 20 minutes maybe, as we continue to share about the journey that some of us had this past month uh, in Zambia. Uh, some of our team members had a chance to, to meet and share with 30 or so different uh, church planters in the area around Zambia, in the area around Livingstone. Uh, and, and some of us had a chance to even uh, share ministry with over three, four hundred children in the process of the two weeks that we were over there. Our purpose was to encourage and to uh, enhance the lives and the ministries uh, and the faith of those who were believers and share our faith with those who needed to come to faith in Christ. And even though we could not speak the language of the Zambians, we had to speak through interpreters. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the Bible is universal. The Bible speaks to all languages, all tongues, all cultures, to all people around the world. The spirit and the message of the Bible is universal. So at the close of one of the final sessions, we had a chance to encourage and, uh, and share into the lives of 28 or so church planters uh, in a little village called Maluno. 
And at the end of that second se- or the end of the second day, uh, I opened up the session to questions that uh, pastors and aspiring young pastors could ask. I took a big risk. I said, you can ask a question about anything you want to ask about. Well, some of the questions were quite interesting. The very first question, the very first young man stood up in the very back of the room, and he said, I have two wives. Well, I knew I was in a different culture. (laughs) And I had sort of known that in the back of my mind, but I have two wives. Can I divorce one of my wives so that I can be a pastor? Another question a young man asked after spending 30 minutes or so just dealing with that issue. He said, can a pastor drink beer? (laughs) Another question came up and said, can a pastor fudge a little bit on the truth in order to feed his family? Now, you have to understand that uh, the average Zambian feeds their family of six on about 40 pounds of corn seed in a whole year. So the economy is very meager. They have to scratch to find a living for serving their family members. Well, my answer to every single one of these questions was with the same statement. I looked at all of those young men in the room and I said, what does the Bible say about that? We need to turn to God's Word, and we need to look into God's Word, and we need to find the answer to your practical, everyday questions, as well as your doctrinal questions, and we need to find the answer from God's Word. I wonder what questions you're asking today. What questions are you hearing people ask around you today? I heard, I heard some good ones this week. Uh, somebody asked, you know, What's the next step in a person's life after they trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Is following Jesus in believers' baptism really that important? Is actually joining a local church and putting your life on the line for ministry and service in the context of a local church really important? Well, you see, my conviction is that all answers to life questions are, are not found in the Bible. Not all questions are answered in the Bible, but every question that is important can be found in the truth of God's Word. And so, even though the Bible may not ask every sing, answer every single question that anybody could have at any time, if there's an important question, the Bible, God's Word, speaks truth into that question. And so today, we want to draw answers to real life issues from God's Word as we continue to work through Psalm 119. Today, as you've already heard read, we're going to work through verses 9 through 32. And we're going to find some practical answers from God's Word that will be sufficient to your life questions, to the everyday, ordinary issues that you face. We're going to continue to see today and as we work through Psalm 119 over the next six weeks that no other book compares to the supernatural power in God's Word, in the Bible. It's a living book. It imparts life 
when there seems to be no life. And the Bible alone reveals the true knowledge of God to the hearts of men and women and students who want to live godly lives. And I pray that that is you today. I pray that you want to live a godly life. So I pray that you will join me as we look through these three stanzas in Psalm 119 that reveal three more benefits. We looked at four last week from Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8. But today we're going to look at three more stanzas and look for benefits to having a pure heart when we're attached with our lives to God's radiant word. So let's look at the benefits. Benefit number one for today, God's word cleanses the heart. In verses 9 through 16, immediately the Bible says in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? Circle that word pure if you have your Bible with you. By guarding it according to your word. One of the, one of the greatest blessings in life is to begin hearing and examining and applying and remembering and trusting the Bible while a person is young. That's why we do put emphasis in this church on children's ministry. I will never regret being raised by parents who were new believers, who put us in the context of being in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, to center our life and focus our life around learning the truths of God's Word. A pure substance, it's referred to here in verse 9, means that it's uncontaminated. And guarding your life with God's Word leads to personal purity and holiness. My last three summers in high school, I worked as a part of a sanitation engineer team. Now, I was on the lower end of the totem pole. I rode on the side of a garbage truck, and I picked up big cans of garbage. And put. You can learn a lot about people by uh, picking up their garbage, you know. Uh, but there, was, there were higher levels in the, the sanitation engineer department. Uh, in fact, the place where we met every morning to go to work was a water treatment plant. And at that water treatment plant, every day I was able to see contaminated water start flowing through a system. And it would run through filters, hundreds of filters. Water was poured over water, was poured over water, was poured over water, running through filters. Until what came out at the end of that product that was even filtered more as it went up into a water tank and then came down through a pipe to feed our uh, system, water system in the community was pure drinking water. It took decontaminating. And that's what God's Word does for us. God's Word purifies our heart. It cleanses our heart. And that's why it's so important for us to continue to pour God's Word into our life so that contaminants that come into our life from the world can be washed out. See, your, your actions flow from your heart. And when your heart is guided by God's Word, it changes your desires. And guarding your life with God's Word purifies your heart, cleanses your heart. How can a young man make his way pure? By establishing it in God's Word. And that's not only true for a young man, that's true for young people of all ages. 
In verse 10, he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so sin is what comes into our life and contaminates our life. So what does it mean to seek God with a whole heart? Well, it means making your relationship with God the highest priority in your life. And the only way to do that is by anchoring your life and sustaining your life and supplying your life each day with God's Word. The Bible is so important because it reveals to you and me how much God really loves you. How much He is pursuing you. How much He is drawing you to Himself. Seeking God with your whole heart means that you make every decision in life with God's best interest in mind. And God's Word leads us, it guides us to spend our time and spend our resources and spend our talents and spend our energy to give glory to God. To give highest praise to Him as we just sang about. I'm so thankful that we have church members who are fully devoted to seeking God with your whole heart. Way to go. But my prayer is that we will see that number explode and multiply as we desire, according to God's Word, to make all of life about Jesus. The practical questions that we have in life being answered by how does this impact my relationship to God and how does this impact my, my influence to other people around me who need to know God, who need to learn to walk with God and how I use my life to be a blessing to God. See, there's a challenge to seeking God with your whole heart. Our nature, since Genesis 3, our fallen human nature is to be selfish. It's to be our own God. It's to set the priority of our life according to the standards of what's good for me and what's best for me, rather than what is best in God's eyes and for me best glorifying God. What does sin do? It contaminates our life. And the way we attack sin is by pouring God's Word into our life until God's Word flushes out the sin that we're convicted of. When you hear the Word and examine the Word and apply the Word and remember the Word and trust God's Word with all your heart, it can purify and cleanse your heart. And I trust that's your desire today. Because the Bible can lead you to God. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 12. He says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I know you're aware of this, but let me just remind you. The author of God's Word is God Himself. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, put his message to you and me in written form for us to know and love and pattern our life after. And God's heart is perfectly pure. He's holy. And when you draw close to him through his word, he filters and cleanses your heart through his word, through the Bible. So you're blessed, the psalmist says, by learning the statutes, learning the rules, and learning the testimonies of God, and then living them out, putting them into practice. The fallen world has a different prescription for blessing. The world says, you want to be happy, whatever it takes to to be happy, that's what you want to pursue. And nothing could be farther from the heart of God. Happiness in the the mind of the world is uh, pleasure and power and possessions, all of these things that can contaminate your life when you replace them with God's Word. So the psalmist says that even if you had all the money in the world, even if you had everything in the world, you still wouldn't be happy. You still wouldn't be satisfied. You would always want just a little bit more to satisfy you. But God's truth in His Word can lead you to living according to God's statutes, the psalmist says, God's rules, God's testimonies that bring about God's blessing. And that's where you want to live. That's where you find fulfillment in life. That's where you find delight in life. Remember, God's Word can cleanse your heart like nothing else. So how much time are you spending each day letting God's Word work in your life, fill your life to flush out the sin of the world, to flush out the desires of the world. That's why in verse 15, the psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, let me say say a few words about this meditation thing. I mean, there's some strange ideas about meditation. The world's way of meditating is just to, you know, sit out somewhere by yourself and just clear your mind of everything. Let your mind just be totally clear. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with God's Word and taking time to sit and focus on God's Word until it takes root in your life and then changes the way you think and changes the way you feel, which changes the way you act. You let God's Holy Spirit take the truth of His Word and purify your heart, give you a clear, clean heart. And that's why in verse 15 he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your words. Then look down in verse 23 of of the, the, the next stanza. He says, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. And then in the next stanza, in verse 27, he says, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Now, in our Sunday night seminar in the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Revelation. 
and ways to study the book of Revelation and the importance of Revelation. And one of the greatest things I've heard Louis say is that when something is repeated over and over and over in God's Word, you better pay attention to it. And for the psalmist to point out in all three of these stanzas the importance of meditating on God's Word, I better pay attention to it. And I trust and pray that you will pay attention to it too. Meditation takes time. It takes devoted, dedicated time. I would recommend you do like I do and put it on your daytime or put it on your calendar for you to take time to study God's Word and meditate on God's Word. So let me ask you today, along with the psalmist, are you willing to let the precepts and the statutes and the wondrous works of the Bible marinate in your mind so that your heart can delight in the Lord and delight in the law of the Lord and so that God can change the way you act because you're putting God's word in your mind and marinating, let it marinate, settle in by meditating on God's word. That's an incredible benefit to the Bible. It cleanses your heart when you put it in your mind. Let it soak in. Let it change the way you think and change the way you feel, which will change the way you act. And we're not finished with that thought, but let's move on to the second benefit because it just continues. The second benefit, God's Word consoles the heart. Consoles the heart. Now, I think you would agree with me that there are lots of challenges that we face in the world today. Lots of challenges. Different kinds of challenges. And the world is also filled with challenges to living according to God's Word. The Bible says you're, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be challenged in the way you either devote your life to your way of living, which is comfortable to you and makes sense to you, or you are going to Meet the challenges of living according to God's word, according to God's law. Look at verse 17. The psalmist says, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Now, bountifully. God gives you blessings every day. What are you doing with them? Are you using them to let God draw you away from the ways of the world and draw you to following the, the precepts of His heart. I challenge you to let God's blessings draw you to depend on the Word of God to be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path that we're going to look at in a few weeks. God gives you blessings so that you can take those blessings and glorify Him and also be a blessing to other people. Verse 18 reminds us that this world is filled with challenges to living according to God's law. He says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What does the law do? Well, the purpose of a law is to protect you. 
to watch over you, to keep you safe, to keep you from harm. And so I challenge you today to let God's law protect you from the assault that's coming against you from the many different enemies of this world. Look at verse 19 and 21. He says, this world is filled with challenges to living according to God's commandments. In verse 19, he says, I'm a sojourner on this earth. I'm a stranger on this earth. I'm just passing through. Hide not your commandments from me. Verse 21, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. What's the purpose of the commandments of the Lord? Well, the purpose of the commandments of the Lord are to be those guide rails in your life, to guard you and to guide you and keep you from falling to the temptation of the enemy, falling into sin. As listen to this, you pass through this world. I hope you're aware that there's more to life than just this world. There's more to life than what happens on this earth. There's an eternity that's coming. And the psalmist recognized the fact that he is a sojourner. He is a, a stranger. He is just passing through. Now, many scholars, in fact, most scholars believe that this psalm was written by David in the very last days of his life when he was struggling with illness. He was struggling with old age type kinds of things. And he was wanting to pour God's truth into his son Solomon. So he took the 22 characters of the Hebrew alphabet and he wrote 22 different stanzas with eight verses each, each line beginning with the same Hebrew word, Hebrew letter, uh, to teach his son Solomon the statutes of the Lord. And so David, more than anyone, was familiar with the commandments of God and the purpose of those commandments to be guardrails in the lives of those who would be future leaders or who would want to lead a life of godliness. Verse 20 then reminds us that this world is filled with challenges to living according to God's rules. Look at verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now, we know what rules are. If you're familiar at all with any kind of sport, sport's not very much fun if you don't have rules. If anybody just does, you know, somebody just picks up a ball and runs wherever they want to run, you know, out of bounds and anywhere they want to run to get to the goal. I mean, that wouldn't be any fun, would it? Rules are there for a purpose. And David said, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules. So are you longing today to be godly according to his standard and his rules? Are you willing to alter your life, to move your life into alignment with the rules of the Lord? Then in verses 22 and 24, he reminds us that this world is filled with challenges to living according to God's testimonies. In verse 22, he says, Take away from me the scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Then in verse 24, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. There's a challenge in this world 
to trusting God. Trusting God. God's testimonies have been proven over time. In fact, from the beginning of time until today, God's testimonies have proven how much He loves you and how much He is willing to guide you and guard you and call you to follow His example of purity and holiness, to be like Him. And His testimonies give proof and evidence to the track record that God has to be a counselor like no other counselors. Now, I'm not opposed to going to counseling when you have issues that you need to deal with. I am opposed to listening to the counsel of any man over the counsel of God's Word. The best counselor you will ever find is right here in the Holy Word of God. And so the psalmist says, I delight in your testimonies. They are my counselors. And then we also see in verse 23, finally, that this world is filled with challenges to living according to God's statutes. Look at verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. See, one of the reasons the psalmist gave praise to God and sought God's consolation was because his life was constantly being threatened by enemies. Even though princes sit plotting against me. There was always someone around the corner, even from, I mean, when David was 17 years old, remember, he went up against Goliath. And from that moment until his deathbed experience, people were plotting to kill him. And he said, I stand on God's word for consolation when my life is threatened. See, when the psalmist directs us to turn to the Bible to find consolation, he's, he's a good example for how that works. When you experience any form of loss, any form of disappointment, any form of pain, it causes grieving. It causes you to realize that there are things and there are people who may be out to get me. And God can bring purpose to every single disappointing attack that the enemy throws against you. Every single one. I met with a pastor this week. It was a very sobering situation. His wife saw their little puppy running out toward the road. And she ran out to save the puppy from getting hit by the car, and the car hit her and killed her. I looked at him, I said, Charles, how have you managed over the last eight months to survive? And he said, there's three things that have supported me. He said, number one, I have 100% trust in the sovereignty of God and the truth of His Word. 
And his word has been a consolation to me. Number two, I've had church members who have been faithful to be to me what I'm supposed to be to them. I'm supposed to be their shepherd, their pastor. And I've had to humble myself and let my church members come alongside me and console me. And he said, thirdly, I've had a small group of pastors devoted to God and devoted to his truth and his word who have sat with me and shared scripture with me and shared God's truth with me through his word. And they have been a great consolation to me. See, there is power in overcoming, and that is a severe kind of loss. But there are other kinds of disappointments and other kinds of pain that we have in our life that are devastating. And our task is to let God's Word be our counselor. Let God's Word console us in our deepest time of need. What a great testimony from a great man of God. But there's a third benefit to God's Word, and that is God's Word strengthens the heart. Now, there's going to be some overlap in this from the past two, but in this, third, in this fourth stanza, verses 25 to 32, the psalmist encourages us to draw from the strength of God's Word and let it strengthen our heart. Look at verse 25. He says, my soul clings to dust. In other words, that is that reference to death. My, my soul clings to dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Now, if in fact this is David at the older time of his life, the lesson here is that there's, there's never a moment that we reach in life that we keep trying to from trying to learn from the statutes of the Lord. We, we keep trying to pour God's Word into our life so that it can, can take us to the heart of God. We saw in verse 23 that when the psalmist was under enemy attack, he found strength in the Bible, and you can too. But there are many ways to respond when we find ourselves under attack. There are physical attacks, there are emotional attacks, there are spiritual attacks that come at believers every single day. Some of you came here today carrying a heavy burden. Some of you today came here under attack. And the Bible can strengthen your heart like nothing else. There, there are three ways, just very quickly, there are three ways that God's Word the Bible can strengthen your heart. First of all, God's Word does strengthen your heart when you're under attack. Like I said, we've talked about that, but um, let it soak in. Let it sink in when you are attacked. During the days of the Reformation, back in the 1500s, the battle cry of the Reformers was... Sola Scriptura, only Scripture. And these reformers proclaimed that no matter what happened to them, they were committed to living life according to God's Word. The authority of Scripture over every church tradition and every church leader and even the government. 
On April 18, 1521, Martin Luther was summoned to stand before church authorities and the Roman Empire Emperor, Charles V. And his writings were placed on a table in front of the council. And he was asked two questions. They asked him, are these your writings? And question number two, will you recant? Well, here's what Luther said. Here's what his response. It was straight to the point. He said, and I quote, I do not trust the Pope or church councils, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradict themselves. I am bound to the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. God help me. Amen. He literally was putting his life on the line. He literally was risking everything he had accomplished materially in all of his life, knowing that it could be just ripped away from him in a second. And it was. And it's made me stop and think, what, what am I really willing to risk to stand alone on God's Word? What, what are you willing to risk? Maybe some comfort that you enjoy. Maybe some habits that you have that are contrary to God's Word. You know are contrary to His Word, but you're comfortable in maintaining those habits. Maybe in being more aggressive in sharing what God has done for you. And setting you free from your sin and sharing your testimony, sharing your story. Are all of your actions, and I ask myself the same question, are all of my actions showing that I stand alone on the Word of God, regardless? I'm going to let God's Word change me rather than me trying to change God's Word. Sobering question to think about. Verse 27. He says, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. See, the precepts of God's word never change. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is going to last forever. He's not going to change. So I challenge you along with the psalmist to let God give you victory when you're tempted, when you're under attack. So God's Word strengthens the believer under attack. Secondly, God's Word strengthens the heart over grief. In verses 28 to 30, he says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Again, that's the picture of grief. Strengthen me according to your Word. Put false word ways far from me and graciously teach me your laws. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. See, grief is a normal thing. God built grief into our system. We grieve when we lose something that's close to our heart, when something's meaningful to us or someone is meaningful to us. It can be a loss of anything that we grieve over. 
But God's Word strengthens our heart when we're working through grief. Gives us victory over grief. Halfway through our mission adventure to Zambia, one of the members, Addison, of our group, got a phone call that her grandmother in Seattle, Washington, was in critical condition. And she actually passed away while we were there. And there was this wave that came over Addie. And you could tell her demeanor was downcast. But she continued with the mission and she found strength in God's word and in God's fellow ministers who came alongside of Addie and helped empower her and strengthen her through that time of grief that she was experiencing. Now, grief is real and it's part of life. But we need God's Word to allow God's Word to comfort our heart and strengthen us and take us through that grief until we come to the point to where we live above grief. I know many of you have experienced that power of God's Word giving you victory in times of grieving. So God's Word strengthens the believer under attack and over grief. And finally, God's Word strengthens the heart over shame. He replaces shame like we talked about last week in verses 1 through 8. He replaces shame with his dignity. Look at verse 31. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. So he's praying for dignity. Verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. God wants to pour into our life and abundantly restore us when we have fallen to sin, fallen away from Him. But we have to have the attitude of the psalmist. He says, let me not be put to shame. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, puts our shame in perspective. We're shamed when we sin. We should be ashamed of the way we live sometimes. We should be ashamed of the way we treat God and the way we act toward God. But God has given us dignity through Jesus. Listen and let His Word wash over you from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see the picture here? Jesus, Jesus was hung halfway between heaven and earth, stretched out, naked, bearing the guilt of your sin and my sin. And He took upon Himself your shame and my shame. He exchanged your shame for His glory. He exchanged His glory 
for you not having to live under a cloud and under the pressure of sin. Because when you trust Jesus, He sets you free from sin. He replaces your shame with His glory. So let me ask you, has that happened to you? Have you come to that place in your life where you have trusted God to replace the shame of your sin? And have you repented of your sin and turned away from it and turned your life to Him to give glory to Him? If so, you can say along with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, God's word. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Some of you today need to have that dignity restored to your life. Some of you here today have never trusted Jesus. You've never given your life to Him. What are you waiting for? The Bible is calling you to turn to God's trustworthy word, the plan of God, the gospel, and let it replace the sinful shame in your life with His glory. We all need God's trustworthy word, His radiant word, to hold us up in this life. I have a video, I was looking back at it yesterday, that I took while we were in Botswana. Elephants were crossing this deep channel of water. And the big elephants would go down and just their eyeballs would be sticking out of the water as they crossed and walked across on the bottom of the channel. But the little baby elephants were too small for that. And here's what they would do. They would take their little snout and they would hook their little snout around the tail of their mother. And that mother would pull them, although they sunk down under the water, that mother would pull them up as she walked across to higher ground until their little feet could finally hit the ground. Then you'd see their little heads pop up out of the water. They were attached to their mother until they got to a place of safety. And that's what God has done for you and me in the power of His Word. He's given us something to attach to Him so that we can trust Him and let Him pull us up. I know that, that the psalmist in Psalm 119 uh, was facing times where it seemed like the world was taking him under. But he turned to God's radiant Word to let God's Word pull him through, let God's Word pull him up until he walked again in dignity. And I pray and hope and trust that that will be the story of your life as well. When you feel like life is taking you under, you can be secure by attaching yourself to the heart of God through His Word and let Him pull you up to a life of godliness. That's what we want. That's what we live for. That's what we desire. So I pr trust and pray that you will give him your heart today and let him give you a pure heart. Trust the Bible and give him your heart because he wants to cleanse your heart. He wants to console your heart and he wants to strengthen your heart through the power of his word. God, thank you today that your word is truly a magnifying glass that looks into our life and points out areas where we need to change. We need to let the power of your word wash over our life and, 
and transform us and make us godly. God, I pray that you would give us all that desire today. And I pray that when we come to the challenging times of life, that we'll hang on to the truth of your word and let your word lead us to your heart so that you can empower us to thrive even through the times that are most difficult in our life. God, thank you for the Bible. We trust you today to guide us to your heart through your word. And we commit as never before to living according to your truth. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship.